0: Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast.
1: Welcome back to the Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast. I'm your host, Eugene Godso, and this week we've got Derek Draper, who is the SVP of sales at Juniper Square. We're talking all things, metrics, and things that are measurable, how to measure and what to do about it. Uh, he's so knowledgeable on this subject. In his career, he started at Fisher Investments in sales before he transitioned to Wildfire where he was the fourth employee there and was the founding VP of sales and scaled that company from zero revenue to $50 million in revenue in just under three years which led them to getting acquired by Google um, where he stayed a few years after that. Then he hit the reset button, went back and co-founded and was CEO of a company called Pattern which again, after a few years was acquired by Workday where he stayed for a few years. Uh, Fun fact about Derek, his last year at Google, he spent about a a year working at the mysterious Google X working on the self-driving car project before he left. The topics this week, I always try to simplify it, but one is how to break down the deals in your pipeline and how it's moving by volume, velocity, and conversion. Next is what metrics actually matter? What should you be measuring? How do you measure them? And then, what steps can you actually take once you identify a weak area? You know, what do you do about it? Uh, then, lastly, is we're all victim of getting happy years and deals, whether we're a first-time founder or you know a tenured seller. So, what traps to look out for to avoid happy years? Um, I'm going to link a couple of articles in the show notes that Derek has helped author. That largely tie around these, these topics, so highly recommend giving these a read if you, if you like what we're talking about here. But let's jump into it. Derek, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining. We're, we're super excited to have you today. Thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's jump into it. Um, I just went over your background, but you obviously have so much experience um, building and scaling companies really at all different stages. Um, especially a pattern where you were co-founder and CEO and what I wanted to focus on today is really your thoughts on how you've scaled these companies specifically around metrics and what I mean by that is the things that you are deciding to measure why you're measuring them how you're measuring them and you know most importantly like what do you do when you actually start measuring them like what's the point
0: absolutely When you when you talk about metrics, I think you're mainly talking about at least in the context of this podcast, specifically kind of go-to-market or sales metrics, right?
1: That's right. Yep. Yeah. So
0: so I think if you you know if if you don't have a good understanding of kind of the fundamentals of your business, uh, I think it can be hard to understand like where to spend your time or resources to try to improve things. Um, A lot of early-stage companies will just believe, and I've seen this happen, um, you know, with founders, especially founders that may not necessarily have a lot of sales background. They think that you know, adding a salesperson or adding, you know, the fifth salesperson is going to solve all the problems. And certainly adding the right people in the right places will help. But if you don't have a good understanding of sort of the pipeline of, um, you know, their their individual businesses rolling all the way up to kind of the collective for the organization, it can be hard to figure out like what's not working, you know, especially in an early stage context where you may not know, you know, is it the salesperson that's the problem? Is it the product that's the problem? Is it is it you know, some, some sort of a, you know, marketing or messaging that's the problem? And, and so again, I think metrics for me are critical to really understand um, uh, from a sales execution perspective, what's going
1: well and then where you need to improve. Got it. Is, is there a point where you think it's really important to like double down into and actually start tracking and defining what you're gonna measure? Because I, I would imagine if it's just you as the founder and you're the only one selling, it's just you and the product. Maybe it's not as important then. But I'd love to get your thoughts there.
0: Yeah, that is a great question. I think yes, if you're if you're really early stage and you're a founder, I mean, I, I don't know that you need to like go as far as you know spending a lot of money to um, buy a fancy CRM like Salesforce and instrument it. You know, six ways to Sunday. But I do think, um, you know, it would be, it, you know, and I've seen founders do this. It's, it's really productive to sort of keep track of, you know, basis statistics, even in a spreadsheet, just in terms of the number of conversations you're having, how far along those conversations are getting, and then ultimately what the outcome is. Because once you start to get a, a recipe or a formula for kind of, okay, I need to have seven conversations to ultimately get to one sale that looks like roughly this ASP or average selling price. Um, you can start to kind of create some repeatability. And that's going to be really important because I think that what I've seen is there's always going to be a gap in the jump from founder-led sales to kind of that first salesperson. As a founder, you just have um, more vision, you have more credibility, you have a better understanding of the product and space. And so I think it's probably foolish to think that whatever conversion you can see is going to be replicated by your first salesperson. Um, And so therefore, you want to really believe your conversion rate as a founder is is significantly high to the point where with some loss or drop off, you know, by hiring that next person who's not going to be quite as good
1: as you, you're still going to be able to see success. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's so tough because we'll work with a lot of founders who great, we're going to hire our first or second salesperson. I'll just dump all this knowledge I have of the industry and our product into their brain. They'll ramp in one week and then, you know, hopefully start closing deals. One, we know that's not true, but two, you're even saying, if I don't understand what our conversion is and how many deals I've actually worked in and what, what that ratio looks like, I won't be able to accurately give this AE or an SDR expectations on what is achievable, knowing like there's there's no way they, they should be selling a ton more than me or even equal to me. Is that right? Right.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, yes. Janet, conceptually right. I think from, um, you know, the what the one thing I would add is just, you know, you a salesperson might be able to sell considerably more than the CEO, But that's because that's their sole focus, as opposed to the CEO who's you know doing sales for twenty-five or thirty percent of the time, and you know doing product development or kind of vision work on the other with the other balance of their time. But but I do think um, yeah you know and I I wouldn't say that it's not possible to replicate the success. I just think early on uh, it's hard to expect you know um, you know the, the conviction and sort of the vision of a founder to immediately transfer to that new person. And so having some benchmarks that you can compare will help you figure out, like, you know, is it, it, you know, is it the product? Um, is it the way that we're messaging it? Or potentially, is it the salesperson? Because when you, in an early stage, you, you, you know, h- hiring a new salesperson takes is a lot of risk. oftentimes you hear people talk about wanting to hire two. So you have an 80 sort of comparison. Um, you know, quick side note, I mean, I, I think there's two different strategies. Like if you're a founder, who's getting to the point where sales is taking up too much of your time, or ultimately, you want to, you want to grow, I think you have two options. One is, uh, well, you have multiple options, but, but one option is you kind of hire an account executive and start to essentially outsource the work to them. Uh, and the risk there is that, you know, what if that person isn't isn't the right person? What if, you know, what if they don't have the skills and tools to be successful? Metrics will help you kind of get a sense of that. The other solution is to say, okay, well, how can I, you know, if, if I'm spending 30% of my time today in sales as the CEO, but, um, you know, half of that time is spent just trying to get conversations and networking and things like that. Like, how can I spend my time on sales? How can I spend that 30% of my time more effectively? Maybe the answer is you hire one or two sales development representatives or kind of earlier stage people that are just, you know, tasked with ultimately getting introductory conversations and filling your calendar so that you, your productivity can be even higher and allow you a little bit more
1: kind of time and learning before you then hire that next salesperson. Got it. So, so establishing some of these benchmarks and things that you're measuring can help you take it past. I feel like I'm spending a lot of time on generating pipeline, or I feel like I'm moving deals along and I, I could be spending my time elsewhere. It's actually, there'll be some data behind it to, to help reinforce that. Yep. Absolutely. Okay, cool. Um, would you mind breaking down? Um, and I'm going to share a couple articles articles that, that you've written in the show notes here, but would you mind breaking down maybe a few of the key metrics or benchmarks that you're starting to talk about of, Hey, what yeah. do you start measuring? What's most important? How do we simplify that down?
0: Absolutely. Um, so I, I think, let me just start by saying, you know, before you get into the metrics uh, or the way that I think about metrics, uh, I'm a big proponent of essentially defining your sales process. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to joke like at wildfire, when I first started, we, we, we kind of, Jokingly uh, named the process like show up, throw up, harass, and then close. And that's kind of the early stage funnel, which is like, yeah. let me show you my product because it's so cool. You know, or first, like, I'm going to show up to the meeting. I'm not going to ask anything about you. I'm just going to show you this really cool new product that we've been developing. After that meeting, I'm just going to basically keep bothering you until you tell me whether or not you want to buy it. And then ultimately, we close. Um, and that works. You know, for novel kind of products in the early stages, but I, I think what's really important is to think about the sales process you want to create from the lens of of your buyer, the persona that you're going after, and understanding that they're going to be going through a process of first understanding uh, what it is that you do and your value propositions. You need to then kind of understand their business. Asking this is what we would call discovery phase, where you would. Um, you need to figure out like, what is their, you know, what are their business challenges and ultimately how can you tie your value proposition to their business challenges versus just showing them something new and cool. And then once you get that uh, sort of buy-in, that sort of like the transition from, I get what your product does to I get how your product actually is going to help me unlock or achieve my goals. Um, then you move in, you move, you know, the momentum of deals move more quickly. You start to get more into the negotiation and contracting phase. And so, at The very, very early stage, I don't think you need to go nuts about sort of defining that sales process. But I do think if you can start to create general categories of like, okay, this is my introductory kind of um, you know, qualification meeting, and then I'm going to move to discovery, and then ultimately we're going to move into this sort of transition of ownership or like rationalization of how I'm going to help their business. Um, as you have these conversations, you can kind of start to benchmark like, where are things, right? Is this, is this a qualification conversation or opportunity? Am I in this sort of um, you know the the validation stage, and once you've done that, if you have a consistent way that you're evaluating all your deals, then your metrics become a lot more valuable because you have standardization across the way that you look at your pipeline. And then, so so that so that's kind of a long-winded way of sort of setting up the answer to your question, which is um, you know when I when I was an uh, an early sales leader, I learned uh, this framework from um, a, a peer of mine. Uh, who who worked at a company called Infusionsoft. And I love the way that they thought about the business. They really looked at their pipeline from three different perspectives. The first is volume. The second is velocity. And the third is conversion. And so let me break this down a little bit. So volume is all about how much do you have in your pipeline, right? And so you kind of look at that in different ways. First, like how many total opportunities do you have? And what's the total potential deal size of all those opportunities in aggregate? And then in in an ideal world, you're looking at uh, the sum of those numbers by stage, right? By like, you know, how many are in qualification? What's the value of those deals in qualification? How many are in discovery? And what's the value of those in in discovery? And, you know, just looking at that number at any given point in time is somewhat helpful because you can start to draw some conclusions about uh, there's like a, a kind of a, you know, an age old assumption that you need to have three times the amount of pipeline uh, in terms of total total um, potential contract value of your target to be able to hit your target right for any given period of time, um, but but once you start looking at those numbers by stage, you can kind of figure out, oh wow, I have a lot in qualify and not very much in in sort of contracting. Okay, well that means like you know it's going to be a while before we we ultimately sign some deals. I got to go focus on moving my deals from the qualification stage down to you know down to that contracting stage. Um, so that's volume. The second is velocity. And so velocity is is about how quickly are you moving things from stage to stage, right? Like in in some, you know, depending on your your ASP and and the complexity of your product, you might be able to go from stage one qualification to, you know, stage three or four, which would be a validation or proposal stage. Like you could do that maybe in one call, right? If you've got a really low price product and it's a simple value prop, you might be able to go through that in one call. If you're a larger, you know, ASP, if you're a more complex product, like you might, you know, multiple stakeholders involved in the sale, it might take you months to go from stage one to stage four. And velocity is really just tracking, like how long is it taking you on a, on a opportunity by opportunity basis to make it through those stages. And once you, once you've had a number of those um, opportunities kind of run their course, you start to get a sense of like, okay, well, you know, typically it'll take me, Three days in, in, you know, InfusionSoft. If I go back to that example, I mean, they they got their sales cycle down to like thirteen days, Um, and they knew okay, qualification has got to be like one to two days, and then ultimately um, the discovery process needs to be like one to two days, and then we move into like four to five days of contracting and signing, and then ultimately like the deal is done. And so the benefit of like understanding what those natural kind of timelines are is then you can look on a deal by deal basis and realize okay, I'm selling to Acme Co. And I've been in the qualification stage for a week. You know, that, that's very anomalous. Like, why is that? What's the problem? What's going on? And sometimes there are anomalistic type things that happen. Maybe someone's out of the office, et cetera. Other times you might realize um, there's just a roadblock here that we didn't anticipate. And that allows you an opportunity to kind of dig right into that deal, right into that stage. Um, you know, if, if you're the only seller as a CEO, you can try to ideate like what's how do I get unblocked? But Imagine you've hired your first salesperson, you can look at that seller and say, okay, you know, you've been stuck in the discovery stage for two weeks. It normally takes us three days. Like what's going on here? Let's get into like deal coaching and sort of uh, unblocking mode. And so that's why velocity for me is really helpful just to see um, in aggregate, how long are deals taking, which ultimately adds up to your your total time, um, your, your total sales cycle in days or months. And then down, drilled down to the deal level, you can see like, okay, what are the anomalistic deals? Where, where are deals sort of getting stuck? And then what can you do to unblock them and move them forward? And then the final viewpoint is um, conversion. And so conversion is all about where do you have leakage in your funnel, right? So if you envision sort of just a giant bucket, uh, where are deals falling out? Where where are customers or prospects going dark? Where are they telling you no? Um, where are you losing momentum? And what you see there is, you know, if I look, if I looked historically at a at a, at a pipeline, you might maybe you see, for example, that 50% of your opportunities don't move forward after discovery. You know, why is that? Well, I don't know. Let's dig in and understand. Are we really understanding the pain points of the customer? Are we appropriately tying our pain points or their pain points, excuse me, to our value propositions enough for them to like understand how our solution can help them be successful? And if the answer is no then you can get laser focused on how do we improve that so that we improve our conversion from discovery to validation uh, from instead of, um, you know, 50% loss, maybe you want 25 or 30% loss, right? So it gives you a way to kind of look at the deal cycle uh, step by step and figure out where your where your friction points
1: are and then jump in and sort of tackle them. Got it. Now that's super helpful. Thank you for breaking that down. And, and I realize some of this is is a bit theoretical and kind of high level. So if you don't mind, I'd love to, we'll, maybe we'll, we'll pick volume as an example and go a little bit deeper. Sure. Um, so you as a sales leader or a founder, if you say, hey, our total pipeline volume is low and or, hey, in this particular stage, our volume is really low, what, what do you do next? So you have this yeah. red flag or yellow flag, like what, what are the next steps you would take? Yeah. So, you know, walking
0: through that example. So like um, one thing that we track or that I often track is that 3X pipeline to our overall target. And so what you want to see is, okay, for any deals that are open and sort of expecting to close within, like, let's say this quarter, if we if we don't have 3X pipeline coverage, we've got a problem, right? And so um, it's it's hard to immediately create pipeline sort of late, late stage. You've got to kind of start at the top. And so if you don't have enough volume, I think the answer to me is, okay, why not, right? What, what is, you know, what's not working well is a, a lot of times I've see, I see um, salespeople and I think founders as well. You you do some outreach and you get a bunch of conversations going and you feel really good about, all right, I've got these opportunities. I'm just going to work them all the way through. And that's all great. And then you close those opportunities only to realize like you actually haven't been doing kind of consistent pipeline generation, so that you've now got a pretty empty empty pipeline Uh, and a long way to kind of go fill that and, you know, ultimately, you know, uh, close more business. So the name of the game is consistency and repeatability. And if you're looking to build pipeline, I think it, you know, number one, how many outreach um, efforts are you doing? Are you calling? Are you sending emails? Are you looking for referrals? What are the channels you have in place? And are, you know, if you don't have enough pipeline, you're not doing enough in those areas. Um, And then I think you could look at your conversion essentially to see, Uh, Maybe we're getting enough, maybe we're getting enough pipeline at the qualification or entry, intro level stage, but 50% of it's dropping out after that first conversation. Okay, well, maybe it's not an outreach problem. Maybe that's a conversion problem, which is like, why, why are prospects not interested after this first conversation? And that opens a whole other can of worms, depending on what stage of company you are. If you're an early stage company, you probably, you know, maybe you don't have product market fit. Maybe you're not messaging your product correctly. Maybe you're not targeting the right persona. Um, you know, there's a whole bunch of different reasons why that could be the case. But I think if if you're generally lacking in pipeline, um, you know, there's there's not like any sort of magic answer other than just making sure you're doing the doing the work to create the conversations, and then ultimately kind of tracking and making sure that as you have those conversations, they work their way through the
1: process versus falling out. Got it. Got it. Yeah, it, it makes sense that the answer is kind of it depends. But really, it's you got to focus in on the why not question and go as deep as you can right? Because if anything drops out at a certain point, okay, it's dropping out. It's not just slow. It's it's very different if deals die at a certain stage versus they just take a long time to get to the next stage. And then it's very different of, we're just not having enough first meetings, but we're having enough first meetings and we're just not getting enough second meetings kind of a situation. Yeah.
0: One of, my, one of my favorite sales consultants um, loves to use a phrase, uh, yeses are great, nos are great, maybes will kill you. And I believe that. I think as an early stage founder or early stage employee, you kind of have happy years. You're looking for positive signs to keep a conversation going or to believe that there's an opportunity here. But the more of those maybes you have, you know, the more kind of lack of momentum you're going to have, the more stalling you're going to have, the more false optimism you're going to have. And so I think it's somewhat counterintuitive, but um, I, I think early stage you really want to find those early adopters and people that are like very you know that believe in the value proposition and they believe in supporting your company. And if you're not getting that, you know, don't don't keep pushing. You can ask somebody, hey, is this worth you know? I want this to be worth your time and my time. Is this something we should continue doing? And if not, that's okay. Like I can go focus my energy somewhere else. But you know, sometimes that takes confidence and courage that. As a founder, you don't necessarily want to like be told no a lot because you believe in what you're doing. But I do think that's really valuable to make sure that you ultimately focus your time and energy on deals and people that are likely to close versus kind of having a big pipeline that's that gets
1: stuck. Definitely. Yeah, and especially at Bowery, we, we work pretty closely with our founders on the idea of champions. It's not just someone that is excited about your product and what you're doing, because as a founder, you love talking to them. Of course, you want to set up a next call. They love talking about what you're doing but do they have the influence or the gumption to actually make a deal happen and do business with you? So you never wanna get caught just spending a ton of time in discovery or evaluation um, when there's really no intention or capability for the other person to to buy the product, right?
0: Yeah, totally. And I I think like early stage founders, going back to what I talked about before, the show up, throw up phenomenon, like you just talk uh, the language of features and functions. And you know, again, for really novel products that works, But, you know, if if you're selling into an executive level, like they're probably, you know, if they're not going to be the immediate users of the product, which is is often the case, they don't typically care about features and functions. What they care about is is impact to their business. Ultimately, how this is going to help them hit their targets or improve their productivity or reduce their costs. And if you're not speaking that language early on, um, you're at risk of just becoming a feature function play. And, you know, something that, you know somebody we would call an atl or an above the line buyer is going to have have a challenge
1: with because they don't necessarily see the value of what you're doing right would would you agree the the way i internalize that is if you're a founder it's okay to say hey here's this feature that i'm really excited about that i think you're going to be excited about and they are excited about it but you have to take the next step on why does this matter to you you know what does this actually solve do you think other people are going to care about this this thing that you and i both agree is pretty cool you, you have to take it one step further
0: uh, yes, I think you also have to understand who your persona is. I mean, if you're selling into, if you're selling into really small companies, uh, you know, we, we use the terminology of above the line and below the line, or ATLs and BTLs. And in some cases, that persona might be both. It might be the buyer and the user. In a lot of cases, they're not. And one analogy that that I've heard that I really like is ultimately like the, the, those the BTL speaks a very different language than the ATL, and so. You can go to the to the BTL and and you know they're really excited to talk features and functions. They're less like they're less concerned or you know they don't have a lot of stake in like market share or targets etc. That's where like you need to make sure that that's not your only conversation. You're also going to the above line buyer and you're not just you know speaking feature function language because again that that person isn't really going to care about that. What they're going to care about is how is that going to impact their business. So I, I would say to your comment. Yes. And understanding who you're talking to and what language to bring to that conversation is a, is a big insight that I think a lot of startups
1: don't necessarily kind of grasp early on. Interesting. I mean, that reminds me of, of my, like when I'm selling or I have a team that's selling, I feel like sometimes you get coached to ask the business impact question when you may be with somebody that's very, very below the line. Um, and you say, Hey, what's, what's the impact on the business for this feature? And they go, I, like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It almost makes it a little uncomfortable. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, you, I mean, I think another way to, to phrase that would be kind of like, what is the
0: impact for you? Right. You know, if, because ultimately like, if that person's going to use it, you know, does it make their life easier? Does it save a bunch of time? Does it mean that they can go do other higher value activities? And from there you can kind of craft like, okay, what, what, if I'm in that, if I'm that person's boss, what, what value proposition might I see? that, you know,
1: this tool is going to bring to my employee, that's going to allow me to get closer to hitting my targets. Right. Yep. Totally. Totally. All right. So we we've got, you know, step one, you really want, you have to make sure you have the right stages and sales process in place for any of these metrics to matter. And then once you do, you you feel like you have, Hey, here's our intro discovery. Here's our qualification, evaluation, negotiation. Once we've got that, then we can start honing in on the volume, the velocity, and, conversion conversion okay yeah. uh, where do you see most people going wrong when they're trying to implement or start thinking about or start using this more? Is there a common theme you see where people are just not doing enough or doing too much of something? um that's a good
0: question i mean I, I would say um number one it's it's hard to, you know th- these are kind of like big concepts, right and um, I think you mentioned there's a couple articles or things that I've kind of drafted just with some of my thinking that might help, you know, demystify some of these to some extent. Um, but I would say like, it's, you know, I'm not familiar not not too aware of that many products that like have this right out of the box. Like if you were to buy a CRM, like it's just not going to be there in day one. And so, um, you know, I, I think so, you know, if, if you're a founder, don't be discouraged. I mean, this stuff takes time and it's it's very complex. I think one of the biggest problems I've seen is ultimately, well, maybe two things that kind of tie back to one root cause, which is like not really caring about, um, capturing data, uh, early on in the process, right. Especially as you start to build a sales team, if you don't care about or or require your sales team to log the activities that they have and log the notes that they have and keep things in the correct stage of your process, um, you know. the 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 metrics that come off the back end even if you get the frameworks right aren't going to be very useful right and so it's the old kind of garbage in garbage out type mentality um so i think that's one thing is just really kind of from an early early perspective realizing that i think a lot of people think that sales is an art uh and and it is to some degree but there's also a very kind of heavy science back component where you you can leverage metrics to understand your, your your friction points and actually make progress and so if you're not Um, capturing the data, like the science piece becomes very difficult. Right. Um, And then the second part, I would say, like, I'm a firm believer in investing in like a sales operations or sales efficiency resource pretty early in the life of the company, because I think that resource is is a multiplier for, for you as a CEO or for, for your team. And that person is responsible for operating systems like Salesforce and outreach and kind of making sure your metrics are, connected and integrated in in you as a business leader uh, and your reps ideally are getting the metrics that they need to understand how to impact their businesses. I mean, one thing I didn't talk about before, but I also think is a, is a big gap in a lot of organizations, like these metrics are very beneficial. At the the macro level, like looking, you know, if you're a CEO or head of sales, it's like I really want to see this for across my business. But guess what? Like these metrics are just as equally, or even more valuable, if you can drill them down to a given salesperson and give them the control of their own business to see, hey, I don't have enough volume in my pipeline. I don't, you know, my velocity is too slow in the discovery phase. What can I do about that? Or you know, I'm, I'm losing all my deals after qualification. What am I doing wrong? Right? And I think a lot of times you don't see Uh, the level of, of kind of analysis or visibility going down to the rep level. And when I've seen that happen, salespeople are, you know, generally, you know, wanting to do well and wanting to kind of be optimized. And so when you give them that uh, data and empower them to kind of figure out what their own friction points, like you start to see people improve a lot, a lot faster. So um, just a few things that I think I've seen that, you know, could be unlocks for people that are kind
1: of going through this for the first time. Yeah, I, I almost just want to say again, your second point, like reinforce that, because I feel like every org has the, the, the issue or pain point of making sure the data is correct and getting reps to actually make sure things are put in, but what you've just done right there is it's not just, Hey, here's why it's so important for the business. Please do this. It's, Hey, here's why it's good for you. And you're going to be more successful um, because we're going to be able to work together on what needs help, the pipeline discovery, closing deals. Like there's no way for me to walk in other than just gut feel and talking to you. unless we have this data, so it's going to make you more successful. Um, and, everybody- yeah, and I think,
0: yeah, and I think you're, you're more forward thinking or higher, your higher producing reps, your higher quality reps are going to think that way. Right. And so, I mean, maybe that gets to a topic that we probably don't have time for today is like how to hire a good sales rep, but ultimately somebody that understands it's a process and it's both art and science, and they want to really dig into the science is more likely than not going to mean that if you give them the data, they're going to figure out a
1: way to be successful. Awesome. Uh, Derek, before, before I let you go here, um, is there anything you wanted to share about Juniper Square? Are you guys hiring? What, what's going on with the business? What's got you so excited to be there? Uh, yes,
0: Juniper Square. So I've been with Juniper Square uh, um, in a variety of different capacities for almost four years now. So I, I started advising uh, the company back in 2018, um, you know, in a part-time kind of sales, sales advisory capacity. And then uh, as as sort of I uh, look to make a, a career change in my life, the uh, the team uh, was gracious enough to invite me to join full time and i've been I've been there getting close to a year and a half. Um, the business is growing incredibly fast. Um, you know it's a really interesting business solving a very unique problem. And uh, I'm really excited uh, you know, about the progress we made and proud of the team that we're building. Um, we definitely are hiring. Um, you know given given what is happening in the macro economy these days, like we're being, a little bit more thoughtful about, uh, exactly, you know, what our growth plan is in light of shifting, you know, uh, focus from growth at all costs to kind of efficiency and profitability, but we, we are hiring, uh, we've got a great team. And I would say to the extent that, you know, if anybody out there is interested in learning more, um, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or, you know, uh, any other way you can, uh,
1: get access, um, to, to me and happy to have a conversation or get you in touch with the right people on our side. Awesome. Derek, thanks again for joining and we'll uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Yeah,
0: thanks. It was a great to be here. I appreciate your time, Eugene. Thank you. Thanks, everybody.